Okay, so we'll just pick up where we left off, which is in the beginning of um, chapter 2. We got finally got to chapter 2, and uh, let me read these first five verses of chapter 2. I feel like we could spend so much time in all of this stuff here, but... Alright, it says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God I don't know everything about these verses here I was just thinking about this yesterday everything about these five first five verses of of this um, chapter chapter two is just such an affront to what is normally to what we normally do and what we normally think and what we normally practice as Christians. I mean, just speaking generally, speaking, you know, in, in broad terms, everything about these verses is kind of a rebuke uh, on what, <clears throat> that's how I, I feel like it. I feel like if people would just read this and, and just bring it to the Lord, it would have to raise questions in their hearts about what what Christianity is to them. And... And what, what it, what, you know, is this something that even makes sense to you? If it doesn't, why not? Why doesn't it make sense to you? Why does it, why does it feel so foreign? You know, to, when we come together, do we, uh, do we come or at least try to come with excellence of speech and wisdom? I think we usually do. I think that's what attracts people. You know, if someone's out, church hopping or whatever you call it and you know what are you looking for you're looking for someone that has you know a good speaker wisdom and you know maybe you can hang hang with a a, a series you know like three-part series on christ and him crucified but to find a leader or a pastor that that determines to know nothing except jesus christ and him crucified or even understand what that means or or why that's the only thing that paul would determine to know and 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 is that person or are we afraid do we have this fear and trembling and weakness fearing that that the something of Man might be communicated in place of of something of God's spirit and power. Is that is that is that even on the radar in terms of our concerns? It should be. Obviously, it was to Paul. We we don't have you know. Do we have a demonstration of the spirit and of power? I mean, and and not just not just talking a lot about outward demonstrations of spirit and power, but is there a is there a real is Christianity a demonstration of the Spirit of God and power instead of persuasive words of human you know, human wisdom? I just feel like everything about this here is um, <clears throat> it's just really, really foreign. It, there's been a great falling away 
from from this Christianity that Paul's describing here, a Christianity where the the proclaimer of it is actually terrified that the in, in a good sense that the hearers of what he's describing might receive anything from him except for a living encounter with the power of the Spirit of God. And that that's what Christianity was to him. And that's what he was needing it to be to everyone that was hearing him or it was nothing. I mean, that's just, that's just, that's so, there's been a great falling away from that. A Christianity that is nothing, absolutely nothing apart from the Spirit of God. I mean nothing. Nothing. And people imagine Paul to be this, um, you know, this powerful, wise sage, you know, that everyone respects. And here he comes and, you know, here comes the apostle. Stand up and show your respect. You know, no way. He was weak and small, and contemptible, and hated by most, most in the church. We, we don't understand that. We you read his letter, you know, we all read his, his letters now, because they've been canonized in the Bible, and, but, but he was, you can tell by his own letters, he was trying to, to win back the, the people that he led to the Lord from other apostles who weren't even apostles. He was saying that everyone had departed from him and no one stood with him except for Luke or whatever. He, he was hated He was by most and he was loved only by those who knew the life by which he spoke and in which he lived. And and. And Paul, you know, Paul didn't have a variety of, of things to offer Christian ears. He didn't change the diet every Sunday uh, to to keep people interested. You know, you gotta you gotta keep changing it up, or, or you're gonna lose people. That, that's what I've you know I've heard people say that. He determined to know only one thing, one thing, and it wasn't a one just one piece of information. It just wasn't one one series, you know. It was it was one reality, and that's the only thing he determined to know, and, and and it's the only thing that he shared. And he was afraid. He says here he was in weakness, fear, and trembling at the idea that people were being converted to wise words instead of the power of God. Now, see, people today would hate him, just generally speaking, and they would hate. He would not be popular. He would not have his own TV show. It wouldn't be enough people watching it to keep it on the air. You know. He would not, he would not, his books would not sell, you know, and I can picture someone say, objecting and saying, wait a minute, his, but, but people read his words all the time, only because they, they've been told or believe that the, that the canonized Bible are the words of God. But if Paul rose from the dead and, and changed his name to something else, you know, Bob or something, and, and, and began to preach the exact same things that he that he preached in these letters, he and spoke with the same spirit and described the same things. People would reject him. People would people would use his own words to reject him, just like they did Jesus. They rejected Jesus with his own words. You know that Jesus was the Spirit who spoke in the prophets, and they took the that's what Peter says the Spirit of Christ in them, declaring the salvation that was to come. Here comes the salvation, and what do people do? They use. They used Jesus' own words through the prophets to prove that he's not the Messiah. That's amazing. And yet we do it all the time. We do that all the time. And and Paul would have been just this contemptible, small, mostly despised 
rejected man. Maybe, maybe appreciated to the extent that he did miracles if he indeed, indeed was doing miracles, like Jesus was. But, but, but what he preached was a, an encounter with power in the inner man. And the power in the inner man was the power of God to put away flesh and to put away enemies. It was a it was the power of the day of the Lord that shines in the heart and kills the enemies of the Lord there and establishes uh, it establishes only one seed and, and one one life. And and I just say that because well, I guess because I wanted to, but also because the, the uh, people have made an idol out of the Bible. The Bible they, they've loved the words of the Bible according to their own ideas and their own interpretations. But they most usually do, they most, they, they usually reject, they reject the life and the light that is the author of the words. And someone says, how do you do that? You don't have to try. That's what you do naturally. That's what you always do. See, you can keep the words and your life, but you can't keep his life and your life. You see, so you, you, you can keep his words and you can love his words and you can apply them to your life, even though they don't even apply to that birth. The words of the scripture don't apply to your life. They don't apply to the first birth at all. They don't apply to, to Esau. They apply to Jacob. They don't apply to Adam. They apply to Christ and his seed. The, the promises are to his seed and not to the other seed. That is so plain all throughout the Old Testament types and shadows. There's always two seeds. One's, the, one's rejected and one's accepted. And the promises and the, and the scriptures, they all declare what is true of the second and those who find their life in him. And they're all rejection and total... Uh, to, total judgment towards the first seed, and, and you can and you can love the words because you apply them to the wrong man, and you can you can cherish those words, and you can you can find things you love about them, but but and you can still keep your life, but but if you find the life of which these words speak, then you will find them completely rejecting the life that you know, the life that you think you have. You'll find. The words testifying of a life that doesn't let you live. That says, none lives here but the seed of God. And that, man, that, and, and, and so, so people, what they do with the Bible is they, they don't know the one of whom it's testified. Isn't this exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees? Shouldn't, and shouldn't we be so careful? Friends, wouldn't, wouldn't it be a, an amazing shame? To wake up from our Adamic sleep and have the light of the day of the Lord show us that we had loved Christ's words and refused his inward appearing. That we had studied his words and we had taught his words and we had memorized his words and believed his words and tried to order our natural lives and our morality according to his words, but we had rejected his inward appearing. I testify, Jesus says, you, you diligently seek the scriptures, thinking that, that, that in them you have life. But let me tell you something. They all speak of one thing, and you will not come to me to have the life. So, why didn't Paul come with excellency of speech or wisdom of words? I think he could have. 
I think he was a seems to me to be a pretty intelligent, educated man. Why was he so careful to say this? Well, because he wasn't aiming his words at that man. He was never taking aim at the natural mind or the natural man. He was actually hoping that another man, another mind, another life would rise up from the soil of the hearts of his listeners and testify and say that is true. And and those words would be water and they would be um, uh, sunlight or whatever to, to, to cause that seed to grow. And though he did, he did, it's true that he did dispute sometimes, but he, he disputed not to convince minds. I mean, he never, arguing was never how he was trying to get people into the kingdom. If he disputed, it was to describe spiritual realities, to demonstrate that these things are what the scriptures have always tested about, to expose uh, lies and wickedness in, in people and in, and, in, and belief systems with the expectation, always with the expectation that people would encounter the living and powerful substance. So, so the question, you know, I, I want to ask people today is what, what, what are you looking for? What is Christianity about you? What attracts you to the people, the books you read, and the people you listen to? Why are you even in this class? I, I really, I truly hope. It has nothing to do with wise words or good descriptions. I really, I really, or, or, or better interpretations of the Bible, or a, a more, just a more Christ-centered Christianity. I, I hope, I hope it's not just that. I hope that there is a testimony going on in words that is speaking to a life that is coming alive, speaking, testifying of, declaring, describing a life that is coming alive in your hearts. And if that's not happen, happening, um, sign off and and fall on your face and deal, deal with the Lord. Because that's, that's the only thing that makes preaching relevant or teaching relevant is the measure to which the soul experiences the life, the power of God in you. Now, that's what Paul determined to know. He determined to only know one thing and to have that one thing to offer his listeners. He, he, he determined to not know anything else. And what was that one thing? Well, he calls it Christ and Him crucified. What is Christ and Him crucified? It is a living, resurrected Christ and His power in the cross. His power that see, knowing Christ, we've talked about this in other, uh, in other classes and things as well. But knowing Christ in the truth is knowing the cross. They're not. They're they're inseparable. You can't know Christ and not experience the cross. Not really. I mean, you can't know him. You can't know Jesus in just whatever way you want to. That doesn't make sense. Spiritually speaking, that you can't just decide, you know, based, it's not based on your personality where you say, you know, I'm kind of a romantic and I just like to think of him like the Song of Solomon where he, you know, there he is wooing me and he, you know, whatever. And he's a pomegranate on a, you know, whatever. And you know how that book goes. 
Or, you know, you, you, someone says, you know, I never had a father. I, I just want to know I'm like a father. The father I never had. You know, you can't do that. Don't do that. He's not what you need him to be in, in the flesh. He's not what you, he's not what your personality, you know, he's not the missing puzzle piece to your personality disorder. That's not who he is. He's, he's a great, well, he's a great power. And, and knowing him is, is according to one way. You only can, if you, if you begin to know him, you know him in one very specific way. You know him as Christ crucified. You know him according to the cross. You know, you know him as power that works inwardly according to death, burial, and resurrection. That's how you experience him. Jesus Christ and the cross are the same thing. I mean, I mean, he's obviously he's not the wood, he's not the boards or the tree, but he is a resurrected life that is dead to sin, victorious over evil, de- dead to one thing, alive to another, crucified to one judged in the flesh, alive in the spirit forevermore. He that's and that's how you know him. Do you see what I'm saying? Knowing Christ is knowing the cross, experiencing the cross. So so knowing Christ, you can say it this way, knowing Christ is is knowing power that works inwardly. And the first work of power in the soul, the very first work of power in the soul is is the same thing that happened in, in the... Nat- this, let me say it this way. The first work of power in a new creation is the same thing that was the first work of power in the old creation. Let there be light. That's that's the first work of power. This is And it's the foundation, in, 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 my, in my view, I believe it's the foundation for all other works of power because it's how everything else is seen. There's a quote I might have mentioned. Well, I don't know if I, I don't think I did recently. So, But there's a, uh, Isaac Pennington says in one of his question and answer uh, things in, in his book, he says, like, he's doing one of these things, what is the name of... Um, you know, Christ. And, and he says, his name is the light. And then the next question is, but doesn't he have a bunch of other names? And, and Isaac Pennington answers his own question and says, yes, he has many other names, you know, like Redeemer and the Word and Savior and all these things. But all of those other names are only truly known in the light. If the light doesn't define those other names, guess who does? If the light isn't showing you the true significance of those names and and working those things in you in power, then the only thing those words are to you, you know, it doesn't matter if you have the if you have the Christian poster on your wall that has the hundred and one names of Jesus. Every single one of those needs to be defined by light, or it's defined by darkness defined by your own ideas, your own personality, your own understanding, your own dark imaginations. So, let me put it this way. The first thing you experience from the Lord, the first thing, the way that He reaches out to your soul and causes you to experience Him is is in a measure of light. Or another way to say the same thing is faith. Okay, because faith is, true faith has Christ as its author and finisher. Faith is not something that man produces. 
it is something that man requires, but it comes like all things. It comes, all spiritual things come by the Spirit. They don't come from you. They work in you. They work in you powerfully by grace, but they come from the Spirit. Faith is no exception. There is, you know, there is a love that comes from man, and there is a love that comes from God. There is a righteousness that man produces that is filthy rags, and there is a righteousness that comes from God. There is a faith that comes from man. It is his own believing. It is his own uh, grabbing hold of con- concepts and, and, and deductions and interpretations and, 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 and beliefs. There is a faith that comes from man. It is meaningless. It is, it is actually in the way of true faith. It stands as an obstacle to the light of the Lord. But there is a faith that causes the light of Christ to shine in the heart. There is a faith that comes down. There is a faith that causes the heart to see him who is unseen. That's, uh, that's Hebrews 11.27. By faith, Moses saw him who was unseen. All of the great ones of faith in that chapter were praised, so to speak, for by faith seeing and walking in the light of what, what faith was showing them. Faith comes from God. It is, the, it is the first thing. By faith, you access grace. In other words, by light, you access power. The very first thing that comes from God to your heart is a measure of light, is a measure of faith. And all other aspects of grace, or that is to say, all other aspects of God's power, the power of righteousness, the power of love, the power of truth, the power of ministry, the power, all of that comes out from faith. You can only minister, Paul says this in Romans and 1 Corinthians, you only minister according to the measure of faith. Whose faith? And, and, and someone says, well, that's my faith. Listen, if it's your faith, then it's your ministry. If it's your faith, then it's your works. If it's your, you know, everyone says faith without works is dead. You know, and, and unfortunately we think it's our faith and it's our works. But that's horrible. That's the whole, that's the whole problem. It's his works that come out from his faith that work in you. There are good works. They come from a living faith. Where does the living faith come from? It comes down from the father of lights like all things. It is the light that comes down from the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. Do you think you're going to come up with one? Did you think you were going to make one? Did you think that faith was your own was your own believing in God that came from your dark, fallen, carnal, gross mind? Do you think that that's the faith that God wants? Or do you think that He wants to give you a measure of light, a measure of faith that you can cling to and hold to and cherish and love and follow? And in that light, you have power. See, now that's... That is that is so important, friends. And because someone says, "What what's my responsibility? I can't do anything." You can follow the light. That's what you can do. You can cling to it. You can love it because in the light, 
there is power. Power, the power of God is offered to the human soul in his own light. What's another way to say that? The grace of God is offered to the human soul in faith. By faith we access the grace in which we stand. Romans 5.2 There is power in the light. Power to follow. Power to experience all that God is. All that God offers. But you have to stay. You have to learn to walk in the place. In the light. In the thing where the power is. You have to, you have to stay in the light. You have to walk in the light. Without the light there is no power. If you're trying to walk in the light of your own belief system, good luck with that. I hope that really frustrates you really quick so you'll turn away from it. You know, I hope I hope most of you who are listening to me today have tried to walk in the faith that comes from man and have found that to be absolutely, insanely frustrating and powerless. I hope you have. Because it is. And if you haven't faced that yet, I, I really, I honestly, I hope that the Lord frustrates every single thing you do until you come to the faith of the Son of God, the faith that comes from above, the faith that He produces in the soul that will turn to His light and receive from Him His own faith. There is power in the light. There is no power. Well, that's not true. There is power in the darkness, but it's another kind of power. It's another... There's no, there's no power of God in the darkness. It, without light, there is another power that works in the darkness. Now, now, see, we've all experienced this. We've all, <laughs> we've all experienced this, and, and, and yet we don't understand it. In, in, in the darkness, there is a kingdom. There is a kingdom of darkness. In the darkness, there is power. It's the, in, let me put it this way. In the absence of light, you feel the power of Satan, the power of sin. These things are real powers. They're not just, see, it's not just the absence of light and then it's neutral. No, we, we all know that that's not true. In the absence of Christ's light, is your heart neutral? Or is there another power that you're obeying? Is there another power that you're feeling? Is there another power that you're following? I promise you there is another power that you are following. There is great in the darkness, friends. There is great power to sin. There is great power to believe lies. There is great power to be governed by fear. Tell me, don't, don't try to tell me there's no power in fear. Don't try to tell me there's no power in sin. The nature of sin. You can't say that, especially since you all know what it's like to obey that power even though you don't want to. What, how can it do that? Well, it's powerful. There is, he who sins, Jesus says John chapter 8, is a slave to sin. Why am I a slave to sin? Because it's powerful. There's a power to it. In the darkness, you'll obey it. In the darkness, you'll be an enemy to God. It's not just ignorance. It's power. There's a kingdom there. And you experience that kingdom in the lack of light. And there's inertia. There's inertia if you follow the darkness. And it's great, it's great inertia. You know, you know what I mean. Inertia. It's like the train. You know, the train, the train when, when, when it, it, it starts going 
and it's real slow. And but once it starts going, good luck trying to stop it. You know, the deer, little Bambi's crossing the, crossing the deer. You know, the tracks and 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 and, the, and, and the, what are you going to do? You know. You can't stop a train for, for Bambi, no matter how much, you know, if a, if a PETA guy was driving the train, he couldn't stop. There, there's no stop in the train. Why? Because it's already, it's moving it, with so much inertia. It's, go, it's got its own power behind it. You can't stop it. Friends, we all know that power in the darkness. Here's my question. Do you know it in the light? Do you know the power of the inertia of the resurrected Son of God working in you? You know, in the darkness, you start to you start to get in that darkness, and you start and things the things you've seen in the light they come out of you. They turn they turn from living living realities into dead beliefs, and pretty soon they're powerless. And there's another power working in you, and it, and 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 and, it, and it's power. There's there's a belief that starts to happen in in that darkness. There's a government, and the inertia builds up, and it gets. Does it not get more dark? Does it not get more twisted? Does it not get more contrary to the nature and mind of Christ? Have you guys not experienced that? Have you not experienced that the more you follow the darkness away from the light, the more power there is to think contrary to God, to lust contrary to His nature, to do things that you wouldn't have dreamt, things that you're so ashamed of you won't even mention to to, to anybody. You know, the things you don't even mention to your accountability partner or whatever. I used to have a couple of those in college. Why is that happening? Because there is, uh, there is there's inertia. There's power. It builds up in the dark. And man, if you don't get out, if you don't find... It is so hard. It is so hard to get out of, of that. It's so hard to stop that train. You know, Jesus is standing there on the side of the track going, Whoa, hey, you're going the wrong direction. And, and, and you kind of, as you, you wave, as you go, I know, I can't stop. You know, I know people like that. You, you know people like that. The, the, the inertia of, of the, the kingdom of darkness. But in a similar way, in a, but in, a contra- in a contrary direction, but in a similar way, there is power in light. But you have to cling to the light. This someone says, okay, you know, God, God provides grace. God provides faith. He, you know, he he parts the Red Sea. He kills the Egyptians. He opens it up. He brings us through. He brings water out of the rock. He brings bread out of heaven. What is it that I can do? What is it that Israel can do? Here's what you do. Here's your responsibility. Turn to the light and cling to it. And obey it. Obey the light. Obey what... I'm not talking about outward obedience to rules and regulations. Although the Lord can deal with you about those things too as you follow His light. But I'm talking about an inward agreement. An inward clinging, loving, turning, hoping, expecting, looking, fixing your eyes. And and, and letting what it shows you be the reality that you will cling to and live. You have to cling to the light. You have to follow the light and the power grows. The power grows in you. The government grows. It actually gets stronger. There's more inertia. And, and so, and, and anyway, getting back to this verse, Paul determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. What does it mean to, to know Nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Well, it's power. And it goes somewhere. There's a train. 
it, it's going it's going fast it's unstoppable where's it going well it's going into the death of Christ it's that's where it's going down a big valley and then back up but it's going it's going into baptism in his death burial with him and and in, and into an ever increasing experience of his resurrected life and the light draws you to it the light comes in the heart and it shows you the way it shows you it doesn't ever show you very far in the way it just show see it never will show you more than your next step it doesn't it doesn't show you further than you will follow it doesn't do that god god never did that with israel god won't do that with you you don't need to know where the light goes in three miles from now. You just need to know where the light's showing you the next step. That, that's what the light will show you. And if you diso- disobey in your heart, in other words, if you turn away from the light that is shining in your heart to show you the next step, then you, you won't see the one after that. You won't. How, how, why would the, why should the Lord open up? Why would the Lord show you the next three miles if you won't take the next three steps? Well, he, I don't think he does. I think that light, the cloud picks up and moves. And you just, you don't need to know where it's going. You just have to keep it in view. Did the, the, I don't think the Israelites knew where it was heading. They just saw it leaving, and they had to they had to pack up their tents and get get their stuff in order and follow it. You know, and if they didn't follow it, it disappeared. They lost it. it at one point in Numbers fourteen, it got to the edge of the Promised Land, and they were supposed to go in, and 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 they they wouldn't go in. And as far as I remember, I don't think they ever saw the cloud again uh, after that. I don't think that the, you ever hear of the cloud after Numbers fourteen. Uh, that that was where it was going, and they wouldn't go in. It, it, it went into a land. It went into a kingdom. It went into an increase. It went into the glory of God. That's where it was leading them. They wouldn't go in, and guess what? There goes the cloud. It, it kept going. It had a purpose. You have to stay with it. And if you and if you turn away, if you turn away from it, then uh, well, you're left to the light that is darkness. You're left to you're left to your own imaginations, your own ideas. But if if you will receive the faith that comes from God, then the heart can truly see and understand and believe. You know, uh, Hebrews eleven three. By faith we understand. But yeah, that's an interesting verse. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I have no problem repeating myself though. Hebrews. Chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. How how can you... It doesn't say by faith you believe those things. By faith you understand. By faith you understand something that happened before the even the creation of visible things. By faith you how can how can that be? Well, it can't if faith is just a belief. But if faith is the light of Christ that shines in the heart, of course you can understand. Of course it gives you spiritual understanding. Of course it shows you that all visible things came out from their spiritual counterpart to testify of it and point your heart back to it. Of course of course that's what faith does. 
How could that not? If if you see with the light that existed before the sun, how could how could not everything under the sun point you back to that light? Well, that's what that's exactly what's going to happen. By faith, you understand. By belief, if it's just human belief, you don't understand anything. You just believe. You know, we believe when we don't understand. Someone says, "Hey, I don't understand the Bible." Well, you better believe it. That's the opposite of what's supposed to be happening. You should see the things testified in the Bible, and then you know them. To Paul, Christianity was power. And it was power that did something very specific. And he was so nervous in a a spiritual way. He was spiritually nervous. Nervous about what? He was was spiritually nervous that people were going to love his words without knowing the life and the power out from which his words came. He was nervous about that. How do you know he was nervous? Because he said, because he said, I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling so that your faith and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Well, my, I, I, want, I want all of our faith to be in the power of God, and by the power of God, and from the power of God. And, and, and that power begins with light. And the light, when it is cherished, when you love His appearing, when you follow and obey the light, it brings you into something else that Christ is. As you follow the light, it brings you into to, to other things that, because Christ is immense. Christ is unsearchable. Christ is... He's, he's light, but He's more than light. He's life. He's righteousness. He's love. He's truth. You, you start to follow the light and you find, you find something else that Christ is. What else is Christ? Well, He's dead to sin. See, dying to sin isn't just something He did. It's what He is. He's still dead to sin. And as you follow Him, you follow Him into that reality. Do you see what I mean? The soul knows, begins to know. In knowing Him, it knows what He's dead to. In knowing Him, it knows, it knows His perfect separation from everything that He put to death in His flesh. And, and then and you keep following Him and, and you, you find Him to be something else. What else is He? Well, He's resurrection. That's what He said. He's resurrection and life. He didn't, resurrection isn't just something He did. It's something He is. I am the resurrection and the life. And the soul feels that. The soul, the soul that follows the light knows Him in that way. It doesn't just believe that He is that. It's not... It reminds me of that... I was at my, my uh, son's... Was that a thing? And someone was talking to him. Someone in another church was talking to him about um, Christianity and, and, uh, and, and basically was saying that like... I, I didn't say I should. I, he was teaching a bunch of kids, and I was like the dad on the sidelines, you know. But he was he was talking about you know what is Christianity, and someone said, well, it's you know this or that, and he said, well, it's 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 belief, you know. He said, do you know that you can summarize Christianity in in one belief? 
And one, if you know, if you, if you have this one belief, then you're a Christian. And what is that belief? And people, the kids are raising their hands saying, Jesus died, or no, no, it's not that Jesus died. No, the Bible's true. No, 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 it's not the Bible's true. And he's, and he's like, what? Is, he goes, and he said, it's, it's the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. I hope it's more than that for us. I think the demons all believe that Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> Pretty sure Satan knows quite well that Jesus rose from the dead. Is Jesus the resurrection and the life that is reigning in your soul by faith? These things must be felt, experienced, inwardly known, made real. And, 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 and they do nothing. They do nothing in you if they are not... There's no benefit. I know that sounds almost sacrilegious to say there's no benefit in, in believing that Jesus rose from the dead. But I don't think that there is unless the resurrection and the life himself is living in you. What, what benefit would it be to have your mind agree with a fact? A historical fact. I don't... I don't, I've never experienced any inward benefit to that, but I've experienced quite a lot in my measure of inward benefit from knowing Christ as the resurrection and the life. These aren't doctrines to believe in. They're not concepts that, that you, you hear once. It's not, again, Paul determined to know nothing other than this reality. He didn't just come... And start, okay guys, we're going to start this church on the right foundation. Let's do a three-part series on the death and resurrection of Christ. That's not what he said. He lived the death and resurrection of Christ. He, he saw the death and resurrection of Christ. He said, when, he, when he talked about what it meant to know Christ, he said very specifically that there's a, very, there's a specific way I know Christ. He says, I don't just know him. He's not my buddy. He's not just this. He's not just that. Here's how he, say, he says, here's how I know Christ. That I may know him. How, Paul? How, how, how do you know him, Paul? Well, here, here, here's how. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, and attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What, 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 what do you mean? I mean that knowing Christ is an inward power encounter with the cross. They were living experiences. And Paul determined to have nothing to offer the body of Christ except for the declaration and manifestation of that inward inward power. He was afraid that they would have the wrong kind of faith. The, the faith that the faith whose author and finisher is man. The faith whose author and finisher is is smart people that that, that talk you into true concepts. And make you believe in the historical accuracy of the Bible. And, and all of that's true. But, but man's faith is man's mind resting in man's doctrine and it's powerless. Here's a, here's a question and I'm not going to stop here. But here's just to, just to leave you with this question. Do, do we... Do we share? Can you can you read these first five verses of of First uh, Corinthians chapter two? Can you read these first five verses? And can you can you say that you share Paul's determination to know nothing else except for this one thing? And 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 the other side of that is, do you 
share his fear to be found using man's power to convert man to man's ideas. Are we, are we afraid that power is not being encountered? Are we afraid that people's faith is resting in good teachings, encouraging books with nice practical life applications? Are we, does, that, does that give us uh, a sense of fear? It, it did for, for Paul. I was reading John, uh, John 8 the other day. It just—it was blowing me away again. I, I, it's blown me away before, but it was just—it was so—it sh- was shocking me how much Jesus didn't care whether he offended the natural mind. He just—he just went—he just went, went almost like went out of his way to offend that mind, so that the heart that had no other option but the, the, no other desire but life would continue to follow him. You know, oops, the crowd's getting a little big here. I'm going to offend a few people. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, or you have no life in yourself. I am the bread that came out of heaven. You know, no explanation of what he's... He didn't explain it. He just said it. Said it a few times. Moses gave you natural bread and they all died. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. You better eat my flesh. You better drink my blood. You know, everyone's waiting for the application. No application. Everyone's waiting for the three-part sermon that's going to follow up that statement. Jesus just stands there. Everyone says, this is a hard saying. Who can I? His miracles are impressive. His teaching is pretty lousy. I'm out of here. They all go. Jesus doesn't explain it. He turns to his disciples. He says, are you going to leave too? Are you offended? What if you see the Son of Man return to where he was before? That's what he says to them. They're like, what are you doing? talking about you know can, can you imagine what they might like that, that what what you just offended everybody you, you had a group here of five thousand men plus women and children you just they, they were all going to make you king you just fed them all you gave them all this huge miracle they're blown away and you ruined it you know you blew the opportunity they all believed in you you just they're all even Hurry up, Jesus. You still have time. If you just if you go up to the mountain again, do a few more miracles, you might get some of them back. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. <laughs> what are you talking about? He, and, and he says to them, truly, truly, you follow me because you ate food, natural bread and were satisfied. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures unto eternal life. You know, and, and everything he's saying, he's not, he's not throwing a bone to the natural mind at all. He won't do it. He's not, <laughs> he won't, I, I, just, I, I hate, I, you know, and my flesh hates that and my, my, my heart loves that about him. He's not aiming at your brain. He's throwing a seed into your soul. Wondering if it's going to find room to grow. And where does it find room to grow? It finds room to grow in, in, in people like Peter who say, I have no clue what you're talking about. But I know this. You have the words of eternal life. And I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have anything else to believe in. I don't have any other hope. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Faith has sprung up in my heart. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. My Father, who is in heaven, has revealed it. Peter says, 
That's the only real thing I've ever seen. I have no clue what you're talking about. I don't know why you just offended all these people. My mother-in-law was in the audience. She's gone now, too. I just made that up. But, you know, friends, family, whatever, they're all offended. No, Nothing's making sense. And, and, and yet, <clears throat> there's a heart that wants to experience the power of God. The power of death, the power of burial, the power of resurrection. That's what Paul wanted his listeners to experience. So that, the, so that their faith is actually in <clears throat> the, the, the power of God. Alright, questions, comments?